seated. I hope you all are doing well uh, this morning. If you have your uh, Bible, please open it to Luke chapter 9. We will still be looking at verses 23 through 27. Luke chapter 9, verses 23 through 27. There is a difference between a contribution and a cost. We don't contribute anything for our salvation. Jesus gives all the necessary contributions. His life, his death, and his resurrection. So you contribute nothing, but yet it costs you everything. And that cost is self. Self dies. And this is true for each of you who who are a believer this morning. Each of you who have faith in Christ and you have surrendered your life to Christ, that means self has died. And like I said last week, self-sufficiency is crucified, dead, buried. Self-preservation is crucified, dead, and buried. And something new is resurrected up in their place. Self-denial is resurrected in the place of self-sufficiency. Self-sacrifice is resurrected in the place of self-preservation. For there is a cost to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. There is a cost. But in the words of Michael Jackson, you're not alone. You're not alone in, in the cost because... Even in the cost, Jesus is Emmanuel still. He's with you. He, he's for you in the cost. But do you believe it? Because I can preach all day long. And if you don't believe it, it profits you nothing. You have to believe these things. I have to believe them. So if you have your Bible, Luke 9, beginning in verse 23. This is Christ speaking. And he said to all, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever will save his life, for whoever save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses and forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him would the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. For I tell you truly, there are some standing here who would not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. This is God's holy, inerrant word. Please pray with and for me. Father, I pray that you will help my unbelief. I pray that you will help it. And I pray that you will help the unbelief of everyone that's here. It's so easy to find our security and significance and, and our identity and our performance and, and other things. I know for me, it can be preaching, it's ministry. But Lord, I pray that, that you will break those idols. 
that we hold dear to our heart. That our heart will see you. It will cling to you. That it will cling to, to the one that it longs for most. And it longs more for Jesus, not less of Jesus. We all come here dealing with different things. Some of us have had good weeks. Some of us have had hard weeks. Some of us have broken relationships. Some of us are tired. Some of us come here hating on each other or broken um, relationships at work, family. But, but Lord, we're here. And you know what each person needs to hear. And I pray that they would get what they need today out of today's message to empower and equip them to go back out into the world and continue to persevere for one more week. Because we all get tired. And we can come here and fake it and pretend like we got it all together and, and everything in my life is just dandy. Everything ain't dandy. And it's okay to say it's not. So, Lord, meet us in our brokenness and lead us to the place you would like for us to be. It's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. The, the third and final cause to self in, in this passage is the crucifixion and death of self-centeredness. It's the crucifixion and death of self-centeredness. And self-centeredness, it, it, it differs from self-sufficiency and self-preservation. You see, self-sufficiency means one is in control of her own life. She's her own savior. He's his own shepherd, own provider. That's self-sufficiency. You don't need nobody else. You are God of your own life. Self-preservation means one lives only to protect and preserve their way of life. You live to only preserve and protect your worldly comforts, your worldly pleasures. It could be your social status. It could be political influence. It could be a certain image of yourself. It could be a certain way of life, your reputation, your rights. Your privileges. Now, the dictionary meaning, meaning of self-centeredness is to be preoccupied with oneself and one's affairs at all times. You're preoccupied with yourself. It's you looking out for number one. For number one. It's all about you. You're the center. You're the focus. You're the top priority. It's to be self-absorbed and to be self-seeking and to be self-serving. It's basically selfishness. And I found this quote online that says, self-centered people always end up with the one they love most, their self. <laughs> self-centered people always end up with the one they love most, their self. So how does self-centeredness play out in, in your life, in your relationships, in all the activities you have going on, and all you have going on in your life? How does self-centeredness play out there? For me, it shows up in the form of self-pity, feeling sorry for myself as a way to get the attention on me. It shows up in my view of money because, as my grandmother would say, Alex, you're so stingy. I get that every time I go to Swainsburg, he's so stingy, just like your daddy. I guess the apple don't fall far from the tree. Selfishness. I can also have a, a martyr complex at times. Now, I can serve here at the church. I can serve at home. But, but I do it in such a way that I make myself the victim. Yeah, I'm doing it. I'm cooking dinner. 
I'm cutting grass, but I'm doing it as if I'm the victim. And it shows in my feelings and it shows in my nonverbal responses. Even in that, the focus is still on Alex. It's still on me. As Dr. King says in, in, in his quote here, it is possible to be self-centered and self-denial and self-righteous and self-sacrifice. So again, how does self-centeredness play out in your life, in your home, here at this church, in your job, your school, your community? What does it look like in your life? I attended seminary at Reformed Theological Seminary in Charlotte, North Carolina. And I used to commute there, you know, three times a week from Greenville, South Carolina, with a group of guys. And one of the guys in that group was named Jeff. And on one trip, he told me when he got married that God showed him just how selfish he was. He said, when I got married, all this self-centeredness and all my selfishness came to the surface. God was revealing it to him. And then he said, when he had kids, that's when God started to deal with it. <laughs> that's when he started to deal with it. Because someone is more selfish than you has come into the world. And some of you who are parents, yeah, I got to tes- testify right there. So some of you are experiencing that right now. Being a parent does require self-sacrifice. It does require you to die to yourself. And for the Christian, those of you who have faith in Jesus, those of you who have repented of your sins and and surrendered to him as Lord and Savior, please know self-centeredness died the day you said yes to him. The day you received him, it died. It died. Like self-sufficiency, like self-preservation, self-centeredness, is crucified, dead, and buried. You no longer live a self-centered life, being preoccupied with only yourself. And guess what? It's not all about you. It's not all about you. And when we live life, I said something like this last week, when we live a life of self-centeredness, we're like a dog who returns to his own vomit. And I said that last week. We all know what vomit is. It's puke. It's throw up. And no one in this room is going to throw up, kneel down, and eat. But when you live a self-centered life, that's what you're doing. You're eating your own vomit. And please understand, you don't have to. You don't have to eat it. Second Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, He is a new creation. The old has passed away, crucified, dead, buried. And behold, the new has come. The new has come. But do you believe it? Self-centeredness is gone. And self-surrender is resurrected up in its place. You can't say, I'm going to surrender to Jesus and still live a self-centered life. Because if you do, you, 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 there's some things about you you're not going to give over to him. Self-surrender is the third command that Christ gives in, in verse 23. And these are commands that he gives to his disciples. Look with me at verse 23. It says, if anyone will come after me, 
Let him begin to deny himself. Let him begin to take up his cross daily and continue to follow me. Continue to follow me. A disciple is a follower of someone else. And the disciple is not the leader. The disciple is not the head. The disciple is not the boss. The disciple doesn't tell the teacher what to do. It's the other way around. A disciple sits under the feet of a teacher, another person's leadership, another person's authority. A disciple also submits and even surrenders to this someone else. What parent is going to let their kids tell them what to do? Tell me, parents, if your kid said, this is what I'm going to do today. I ain't going to school. I ain't cleaning up my room. I'm my own person. No parent is going to put up with that. Not a good one. In the same way as with Christ. We are at his feet. He's not at our feet. He sets the agenda. We don't. We submit. We surrender. We surrender. A disciple also allows his or her teacher to speak into their life, to give counsel, to give direction. And so to follow Jesus means the same thing. It means you follow him, to sit under him, to receive and apply his words and counsel and direction. It means self surrenders to Jesus all the time. Every day, in every way, and all things. Self-surrender. Jesus becomes the focus. Jesus is the center. Jesus is number one, and not self. The campus ministry that I was a part of in college had all their students in what they called D groups. These were um, gender-based discipleship groups. And I was in a group led by a guy, guy named Frank McDaniel. And Frank became more than just my D group leader. He became a good friend, a good mentor to me while I was in college. And one summer he gave me a, a book to read because he knew I was struggling in my faith. He knew I, I had tendencies to be a good Pharisee and I was struggling, doubting my salvation and everything. So he gave me this book to read called The Cavalry Road. I don't know if you're familiar with this book, but, but he gave that book to me. I haven't picked that book up since the late 90s. So it's been a long time since I read it. But for some odd reason, it came to mind the past two weeks as I was working on these two messages. It came to my mind. And as I look back, it was really hard for me to, to grasp and even appreciate the book back in college. But as I flipped through the pages this week and reading what I underlined in college, I find myself saying, yes, yes, that's true. I see it now. I see it clearly now. And one of those statements I underlined says this, the Lord Jesus cannot live in us fully and reveal himself through us until the proud self within us is broken. That simply means the hard, unyielding self, which justifies itself, wants its own way, stands up for its rights, seeks its own glory, at last bows its head to God's will, admits its wrong, gives up its way to Jesus, surrenders its rights, and discards its own glory that the Lord Jesus might have all and be all. Self-centeredness preoccupies us with ourselves. Your way, your rights, 
your glory, your privileges, your entitlement, your bitterness. Self-surrender preoccupies you with Jesus as your prophet, as your priest, as your king. It preoccupies you with his will, his purposes, his way, his words, his teachings, his mission, his values, his direction, his glory. Live long enough, eventually Christ is going to cross something you want to do. Eventually he will tell you no. And when that happens, what are you going to do? Will you surrender and submit or will you say, take the hand, I'm doing what I want to do? Because eventually, live, live long enough, he's going to cross something you have on your agenda. Some dream may not come true. Some plan might not get done. And when that happens, what will you do? What will you do? What will I do when my plans get crossed out by God? The one who lives a self-centered life is wise in his own eyes. She she leans on her own understanding. But self-surrender, it allows you to acknowledge Jesus in all your ways, on the front end of everything, not on the back end or as an afterthought. As my grandmother would say, God wants to be on the front burner of your life. Not on the back burner. The front burner of your life. Not on the back burner of your life. Self-surrender allows you to actually believe and live out the words of an old hymn that says, All to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him in his daily presence. Live. You would actually believe that. Living in Jesus' presence daily does require self-sacrifice, a life that follows him. To, to follow Jesus and to surrender to Jesus means you're walking in his footprints in this world. Did you know that? You're walking in his footprints. Listen, we don't create new footprints in the sand. We simply walk in the one Jesus left behind. Our problem is that we think it's just us. And we don't realize Christ already been through that and did that long before we were born. Because he's not calling you to do something he himself has not already done for you. Where's my sign? Thank you. Man. Yeah, get a light up here that says, say amen and I'll push it. 1 Peter 2 19 and through 21 says, For what credit is it of you when you sin and are beaten for it? You endure. But when you do good and suffer for it, you endure. There's a gracious thing in the sight of God. For this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. That you might follow in his steps. After Jesus washed the disciples' feet, in John 13, he, he told them this. He told them this. I have given you an example that you should also do just as, just as I, I have done for you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master and a messenger greater than the one who sent him. And so what is Jesus saying? If I did it, you, you're not above me. If I wasn't too good to wash feet, neither are you. Is his point. If, I'm, if it's not too good for me to get on all fours and serve, then you are not too good to do it either. If you think you are, then you think you're better than Jesus. 
If there's something in your life you think you're too good to do, you think you're better than Jesus. Because Christ washed dirty feet of the man who would betray him. And when you say, I can't do that, just know you're saying, I'm better than Jesus. That's, that's what you mean. I'm better than Jesus. But you're not better. I'm not better. He's not calling you to do something he himself has not already done. He walked the path. And the footprints in the sand belong to Jesus. We just follow in them. We follow his example. Now, what are some of those footprints that he wants us to walk in? What are some of them? There's a footprint of serving and having a servant's heart. Matthew 10, 45 says, For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Matthew 23, 11 says, The greatest among you shall be your servant. Paul says in Philippians 2, 1 through, in Philippians 2, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord with one another. Do nothing from robbery and conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not only look to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Christians are, are to walk in Jesus' footprint of serving other people and serving one another. And we do this without expecting anything in return, which is hard to do. It's you seeking to bless others because God has blessed you. So who do you serve? Are you walking in Jesus' footprints? There's another footprint. There's one of forgiveness. A footprint of forgiveness. All Christians are beneficiaries of a forgiveness that we don't deserve. If you think you deserve it, then you don't understand Christianity at all. We are beneficiaries of a forgiveness that we don't deserve. What we deserve is hell, and God will be justified in sending us there. Please know that. He would be justified in doing that. That would be justice if he did that. But because he's merciful and because he's gracious, he doesn't. He doesn't. Jesus forgives all your sin. There's not a sin that you can commit that Christ will not forgive you of. You know, you are supposed to walk in that same forgiveness in your relationship with other people. Philippians 5:32 says, Be kind to one another. Tender-hearted, forgiving one another, for, God, for as God in Christ forgave you. Forgave you. Are you walking in the footprint of forgiveness? Now, that's hard to do. It's hard to do because some things are much harder to forgive than others. Let's just be honest. Let's just be honest. Some things are hard to forgive than others. They are. But Christians are still expected to walk in forgiveness in Jesus' steps. We forgive because we also have been forgiven. So who do you forgive? There are other footprints like mercy, compassion, 
stewardship, accountability, all these things God has called us to walk in. But do we? Whose footprints are you walking in today? Who do you follow? Who is your example? Who, who do you model your life after? Who are you a disciple of? Who speaks into your life? Who do you bow down to? There's also a footprint of love that Jesus left behind. And all Christians are, are to walk in love. And, and Paul says in, in Ephesians 5, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Jesus wants us to love who he loves. And who does Christ love? He loves sinful, broken people. The unrighteous person and the self-righteous person. He loves them. It includes loving your enemy, loving your neighbor as yourself, loving the least of these, the orphan, the widow, those in poverty, the stranger, the immigrant, anyone who, 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 you, who, who you consider those struggling to life. God asks you to love them. Why? Because God loves us the same way, loving those who are different than you. He wants you to love them. He wants you to love them the, the way he loves them. Jesus loves us in truth, in word, and deed. Notice I said truth. He loves us in all three. And we are to love people the same way. So who do we actually love? Who do we lay down our life for? Now, there are other footprints that we try to avoid. I know I try to avoid them. I try to kick sand on them, pretend like I don't see them as I walk down the sandy beach. And that is footprints of suffering, footprints of shame that may come from being a Christian, footprints of rejection, footprints of persecution. Following Jesus is not safe. And if that's the gospel we share with people, we're giving them a watered-down gospel. Following Jesus is not safe. You cannot read the scriptures and say, I become a Christian, I'm going to be safe. You won't be safe. Following Jesus sometimes means you will walk in footprints of suffering, rejection, shame, and persecution. Because what did he tell his disciples? Again, if they persecuted me, they would do the same to you. We're not better than Jesus. If he walked in the footprints, so were his people. If you have saving faith in Jesus, then he expects each of us to walk in his footprints, whether it's the footprint of love or the footprint of suffering. It will be a struggle. It won't be easy. It won't be perfect. There will be setbacks. And let's just keep it real. You will sometimes say thank to yourself, I wish I could unfollow Jesus. Like an unfollow people on social media. Block, delete, unfriend. You will feel that. You will. Live life long enough, you will feel like, I wish I could just take a break. Now, some of you super spiritual holy rollers may be saying, 
No, not me, Pastor. Not me. I got this on lock. There's no way I'm going to deny my Jesus. There's no way I'm going to ever think about unfriending Jesus. Peter said the same thing, and he lived with Jesus for three years. How did it work out for him? He said the same thing. Oh, may believe you, Jesus. <laughs> Not I. I'm your boy. I got your back. And where was he when the little girl came up? Weren't you just with Jesus? No, you got the wrong one. That wasn't me. No, no, no. I wasn't with. I don't even know that man. He denied him. Why? Because his life was at risk. It's always easy to say what you won't do when your life ain't on the line. You need to know that about yourself. It's always easy to say what you won't do when you're in the middle of it. The only reason that we can sustain ourselves and the only reason we won't deny him is going to be because of the grace he gives us. There's nothing in us that would do it. Only by his grace. It's always easy to say what we won't do when our livelihood is not on the line. Again, following Christ is not safe. But we are called to follow him as believers. We're called to walk in his footsteps. People who have what I call fake faith, they will deny him and turn away from him when the heat turns up in their life. When the cost of following him becomes too demanding, they will walk away. And Christ says to these people, for whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and of his holy angels. These are people who completely just deny him. True believers would not completely deny Jesus. You will struggle to follow him. You will struggle to walk in his footprints. It will be imperfect. You will make mistakes. That's why there's grace, repentance, and forgiveness given to you. You won't completely uh, deny him because of the spirit that lives in you. And that spirit will give you the perseverance and the endurance that you need to walk in his footsteps. You cannot do it without this Holy Spirit. He's the one working in you. You're not alone. You're not alone here. You're not abandoned here. God, God, Christ is with you in the cost. Isaiah 43 says, But now, thus says the Lord, who created you, O Jacob, who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Do you believe it? When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Though the rivers, they, they shall not overwhelm you. When, the, when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. The flame shall not consume you. Do you believe it? In John 6, 16, 33, Jesus said to the disciples, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulations, but take heart, I have overcome the world. He said that before, yeah, he went to the cross. I have overcome the world. He did overcome. But do you believe it? Do you believe it? In chapter 1 of his book, The Cost of Discipleship, uh, Deidre Bonhoeffer uh, wrote about the difference between what he called cheap grace and costly grace. He wrote cheap grace is, 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 is preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. 
Baptism without church discipline. Communion without fellowship. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus Christ living incarnate. Costly grace is grace which, which we must seek again and again. The gift which we must ask for. The door at, at which a man must knock. Such grace is costly because it calls us to follow. It calls us to follow. It is grace because it calls us to follow Christ Jesus. It is costly because it calls a man his life. It is grace because it gives a man the only true life. It is costly because it condemns sin and grace because it justifies the sinner. And above, and above all, it's costly because it costs God the life of his son. It costs God the life of his son. Jesus knows about costs. He knows about self-sacrifice. He knows about self-denial, and he knows about self-surrender. Don't forget what he asked God in the garden of Gethsemane. Lord, if you will take this cup from me, take it, but not my will be done, but your will. He was agonizing over the fact that he was going to have to be crucified. But he surrendered to the Father's plan of redemption because he knew if he did not pay the price, all of us were doomed. So Jesus knows what it's like. He knows. He went through it. He walked through it. And now, do you honestly think he's going to abandon you? That he's going to forsake you? That he's just going to leave you hanging? That he's calling you to follow him and, and, all, and then you're just there by yourself? No. You're not alone. In the cost. Because there is a cost. But you're not alone in it. When you truly believe Jesus is Emmanuel in the cost, and self-denial and self-sacrifice and self-surrender, when you truly believe that, that he's with you and, and that he's for you as you walk in his steps, you can stand up, you can sing, you can dance. Man, you can do those things. When you realize I can have joy even though my life might not be the way that I want it. I can still have joy. And joy is different than happiness. Happiness is based on circumstances. Joy is rooted in confidence in God is for you when the world may be against you. Two different things. When you believe this, you can, you can put on a, what I call an oldie but goodie song by, uh, by this prophet, cultural prophet, Bobby Brown. You, know, you put this song on and you can confess and you can and sing to Jesus. Every little step I take, you will be there. Every little step I make will be together. Do you believe that? Every step you make in this world, Christ is there with you. You're not alone. You're not abandoned. You've got to believe that stuff. It can't just be in your head. Listen, I'm preaching to myself. I, I, I'll probably forget this later on today. I'm preaching to myself. Jesus is Emmanuel in the cause. He's with you and he's for you. He, he walks with you in the footsteps, in the footprints. Don't forget about his cross. Don't forget about his finished work on Calvary for your benefit as payment for your sins. He gave his life so you could have life. And he would never abandon you, never forsake you. 
So it's true. In every step you make in this life, Jesus will be there. Every little step. Every little step you make in this world, if it's through trial, if it's through suffering, if it's through hard times and good times, Jesus and you, you and Jesus will be together. Again, you have to believe it, beloved. I can sit up here, sweat, preach, jump around, uh, yell. But if you have a hard heart, it absolutely does you no good. Believe that Jesus is with you in self-denial. He's with you in self-sacrifice. And he's with you in self-surrender. Let us pray. Father God, you are forever good to your beloved people. You are forever merciful. You are forever for us. You are forever in our corner. Life in this world is not going to always be right. Things are not going to always be right. Things are not going to always go the way we want them to go. But Lord, you're there with us. Help us to see you. Help us to know that we're not abandoned. We're not orphans that's walking through this world. We are beloved sons and daughters of the king. And so you know what each person, each family here is dealing with today. And I pray that as they step out these red doors, they will step out in confidence that Emmanuel is with them and for them in the cause. That that you're with them, Lord. I pray for all of this in Christ's name. Amen. Will you please stand as we close our service? If you are a guest joining us for worship today, thank you so so much for being part of our family, and hopefully we'll see you again next week. Uh, The next two Sundays I will be out of the pulpit. I'll be at North Hills Presbyterian Church next week, and then I will be at New City Fellowship in Chattanooga on the 26th. So pray for me. I get to go step on Kevin's people's feet like he did y'all when he was here. So I get to return the favor. So here's God's benediction. Now may the peace of the Lord himself give you peace at all times in every way. And the Lord be with you all. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. Please greet one another.